0: It's the thing that makes Christianity attractive. I mean, attractive. When somebody sees another Christian, and what is it about that Christian that makes them go, I want to have whatever they have? I wish I had what they had. If it's not joy, what is it? Right? We can talk about forgiveness of sins, absolutely. That's huge. But what does that produce? It produces joy. It produces joy and freedom. And this is what people recognize. This is what unbelievers recognize. When, when this is lived out and people see that in other Christians' lives, they look at their lives and they say, well, I, I wish that I had what they had. It's the joy that they're looking at. And that's why this is so important. That's why it's so important. It's, it's, it's why I'm making a case for it in this whole series. It's why we're talking about how to get it. Because it's, it's a vital aspect of living out the Christian life. It's so important that, as I said, it's what unbelievers find attractive about other believers. A supernatural joy that doesn't seem to make sense in life circumstances that otherwise would produce something other than joy. They look at that and say, man, that's a different thing. And I wish I had what they had. And so we are talking about joy and how to have it. Last week, we talked about kind of what it is and why it's so important. This week and for the following weeks, we're just going to talk about how. To actually do this how to actually become joyful people if uh, I were to ask you to rate your joy right one to ten okay one is I never I can't even remember the last time I smiled okay that's one and then ten is my face is stuck in a permanent smile I have perma smile all the time that's ten you know Where are you? Where would you put yourself on that list? Actually, here's a better way to do this, right? You want to know how joyful you actually are? You want to know this? Ask. (laughs) You guys are already saying it. I can hear it. Ask someone who lives with you. (laughs) Ruthie, ask the dogs. You know? If you live alone, ask a close friend. Somebody who's with you all the time. Ask them, am I a predominantly joyful person or am I a predominantly grumpy person? And uh, if they are brave enough to be honest with you, they will tell you. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm married to someone who is not brave enough to tell me what she really thinks. (laughs) That was a joke. I asked her this one time. We were talking in the conversation And she told me this information. She told me this. She told me what I was. And I was surprised. But then since then, I've had to settle in with that's the truth. At least at least at home, I have not been a predominantly joyful person. I've been a predominantly grumpy person. And she told me this. She said, Steve, this is what it's like being around you most of the time when you're at home. Maybe it's what I'm like all the time. But... This is part of the reason why I've wanted to dive into this series, because I want to choose this. Do you want to choose it with me? Okay, here we go. Let's dive into Psalm chapter 16. Psalm 16. What we're after is not merely becoming more positive people. What we are after is not merely uh, putting a happy joy smile on our face in the midst of anything, although those things are part of it, right? We said last week that joy is a choice and an experience, right? So I'm making a choice and I'm having the experience of happiness that comes along with it. We talked about emotions being the caboose of the train. They still come along, but they're not leading the show. Right, I'm doing this, making choices with my will, and so we talked about joy being supernatural, and so today we're going to talk particularly about the supernatural part of joy, and then the last couple of weeks we're going to talk about the practical side of becoming more joyful people, and so in Psalm 16, I'm going to begin by just reading the entire psalm. It's not very long; it's 11 verses. And the key verse is verse 11. So it drives, all drives to verse 11. And you will see this. And then we're going to dive into our notes. And we're going to take away some very important lessons about the supernatural side of joy. And so read with me in Psalm 16, starting at verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. "'Apart from you I have no good thing. "'I say of the holy people who are in the land, "'they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. "'Those who run after other gods will suffer more and more. "'I will not pour out libations of blood to such gods "'or take up their names on my lips. "'Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. "'You make my lot secure. "'The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. "'Surely I have a delightful inheritance.'" I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life you will fill me with, read that word, joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. That's the word of the Lord, Psalm 16. Let's dive into the notes. Here's number one. Lasting joy comes from lasting relationships. Lasting joy comes from lasting relationships. According to a 2017 Harvard study, They wanted to know what makes people happy. This was the question they were asking. Uh, In a culture in which uh, a lot of people, I would say, struggle on this point, a lot of people do, and they want to know what makes people happy. So they did a study. And the most consistent finding is that positive relationships are the number one thing that makes people happy. This is what they said. Is that surprising? Not really. Not really when you think about it. When you think about life, when you think about what makes me happy, typically speaking, um, I mean, it will really help if the Packers win their playoff game today. But other than that, like, you know, I know the Lions are playing today too. I will root for the Lions as well. Okay? I will. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. I'll root for the Lions as well. But if they end up playing each other eventually, you know where I'm going. Okay? Okay? Going down. I'm (laughs) gone. Okay. Let's see. If this happens, no. I'm just. I'll say. Okay. I'll. I'll just say it right now. I'll say it right now. (laughs) If the Lions end up playing the Packers in the playoffs, which is very unlikely, but if they end up playing each other. Am I saying that? Oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no I'm saying the Lions are going to lose. That's what I'm saying. That's my thing. Yeah. But I'm saying if they, do, if they do play each other in the playoffs and the Lions beat the Packers in the playoffs, if that happens, okay, I will wear a Lions something that next Sunday, okay? I'm just putting money where my mouth is, Okay has to be visible. <laughs> <laughs> it's my undershirt, right? I'm just wearing it, just covered it up. No, it'll be visible. So much I believe in my team. How much my joy depends on playoff outcomes. No. See? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. But how often is that the truth for guys? It's true. It's, it's so true for me, right? It's I've been there. Right, how many, okay, but we can be in sync on this. How many of us are Tigers fans out there? Okay, I'm a Tigers fan. How often do they make it to the World Series and then lose, right? I wasn't in a great mood. This is how this works, all right? So that doesn't do it, right? These outcomes, these different different outcomes of different events in our lives don't do it. What about money? Does money do it? We think, if my bank account were just at a certain level, then I'd be more joyful all the time. I actually think we think this, and the reason is because I've thought this before. I've actually thought this before. I've thought, man, if it were just, man, if we just had a little more margin, if we just had a little more, you know, a little more, then I'd be more consistently joyful and happy, and that's actually not the case. It's not even the case secularly, right? This secular study— they, they found that this is not the case. It's not these other things. It's lasting, healthy relationships. This is what it is. This is what makes people happy. They provide the purest satisfaction in life. And so, why are we pointing this out? Because Psalm 16 is all about a close relationship. This is what Psalm 16 is about. You want to look at what Psalm 16 is all about? It's about a close relationship. Now, who are the two people in this close relationship in Psalm 16? One of them is David, and the other one is God. Oh, okay, now I see where we're going, and we're going straight to number two in your notes. Supernatural joy grows out of our satisfaction in God. This is where it comes from. The supernatural side of joy the, the, the side that we can't just manufacture, the side that we can't just make happen. And understand, I'm the one up here saying that a part of this equation is a choice. Yes, it is on our part. But we also have this part that we have to pay mind to. Or else I just have the same joy that everybody else in the world can have. I'm just choosing to be joyful. No, a Christian has more in their toolbox at their disposal, and it's this supernatural joy grows out of our satisfaction with God. Now, I want you to notice, I did not say it grows out of our relationship with God. I didn't say that. I didn't say the supernatural joy grows out of our relationship with God. Why? Because if we're a follower of Jesus in this room, we have a relationship with God. And we're still not joyful. That's because I'm talking about a certain kind of relationship. Many of us in this room, we have relationships with God. Many of us in this room, we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We would say, yes, I am saved. I have the Holy Spirit. And when I die, I'm going to be with God in heaven. And all of that may be true. But not all of us in this room have the same quality of relationship with God. Is that true? Oh, yes, it's true. Not all of us in this room have the same quality of relationship with God. I can be a Christian and have a relationship with God that is of poor quality. I can have that. Not any different than I have an acquaintance in this world. An acquaintance in this world whom I know, I know them and they know me. If they were to look at me, they could properly identify me. They know my name. They may know my family. They may know where I live. But do we have a close relationship? No. And here's the difference between a Christian who has supernatural joy and one who does not. It is the quality of their relationship with God. Supernatural joy grows out of our satisfaction with God right? John Piper said this well when he said, this is number one right there, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Hey, I want stuff. Do you want stuff? I want stuff. Yeah, I want stuff, right? What's one thing that you want? You want what? A puppy? You want a puppy. (laughs) I don't, but that's okay. We just have different desires, right? That's all right. But we both want stuff. I've said this before. My wanter isn't broken. Is yours? No. We want stuff. This is one of the things we do best. We are really good at this as human beings. We want stuff. I want stuff. Okay. You've some people have heard me say this before. I want a truck right? He wants a puppy. I want a truck. Okay, that's great. Now, what we do with these desires is what tells the story of our lives and our maturity, right? This is, this is the truth, what we do with them, and whether or not we trust God with them, right? That, that so much tells the story. I want things, and you want things. So, so all of life then, so much of life is spent going after the satisfaction for the things that we want i want a good marriage so i go after this so i can be satisfied in my marriage i want a good work experience so i go after this so i'm satisfied in my job i want <laughs> tacos so i'm going to go to a local mexican store or mexican restaurant The best Mexican restaurants are inside of Mexican stores, by the way. If you haven't figured that out, there's a little cheat code for everybody. You know I'm telling the truth. It's where you got to walk through the store, get to the back, and it's like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yep. Those are the best ones. Those the best ones. I, mean, I, I would like that, so I'm going to go there and I'm going to spend my money in that place, so I can be satisfied. Right? This is so much of the circle of life. I want something, and I go after my satisfaction, and I do that, and I do that, and I do that. But the problem is, is if we don't stop to think about what we want and why we want it and whether or not we can find what we want in Christ versus everything else in life, we are going to end up on the same cycle that everyone else in the world is in, which is this. I go try to be satisfied in this life, and I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not. I'm not satisfied in my marriage, so I go try to find another marriage to be satisfied in. I'm not satisfied in this job, so I'm gonna go try to find another job to be satisfied in, and that one will satisfy me, and all of these other things, we go after satisfaction, we run after it, when here's what I'm telling you. The secret to understanding supernatural joy in the Christian life is understanding this. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And if we can get to the place where we are satisfied in God, satisfied with him in our lives, even if a lot of our other desires are going unmet, and we're satisfied in God, we are going to be joyful people. Why? Because, look at number two, their satisfaction in God comes from closeness to God. God himself is joyful. If we are close with him, we're going to be joyful too. Part of the idea of supernatural joy is that I I have to catch it. Not just choose it. (laughs) I have to catch God's joy. Tobias, if you've got a cold, who is probably going to be the first person to catch it from you? <laughs> Stacy, right? I hope. But anyway, yeah. No, it's true, it's true. Stacy, going to be the first one, to, probably, unless she has some kind of crazy immunity, this is how it's going to happen. It's like that. And then everybody else in your house is going to catch it. That's, that's how this all goes, right? this is how it works. That's how it works to catch something. And this is what I'm saying is to catch something requires proximity. If you guys weren't close to each other, you wouldn't catch things from one another. And, and, And this is true not just of colds and viruses, obviously. It's also true of attitudes. It's just true. You hang around negative people and you are going to be you're going you're to catch that. You might think, no, I'm a positive person. I am relentlessly positive. I am, I am resiliently positive. No, if you surround yourself, though, with people who are not, you eventually will not be. So this is what I'm saying. Doesn't it stand to reason that if God himself is the most joyful being in the entire universe, that the more I'm close to him, I'm going to catch his joy That's how this is designed to work. And yet, as I said at the top, so many of us settling for relationships that are not close to God. They're not close. We come to church, and we listen to the sermon. Maybe we take the notes, and maybe the notes come home with us in our Bible, and then that's where they stay until we switch them out for the next Sunday's notes. And in between those two things, there's not a whole lot of time and interaction between us and God. That is not the kind of relationship that's going to produce supernatural joy. If the majority of the time that I am in God's Word is when I'm sitting here, right here in this chair, listening to Pastor Steve preach, that is not the kind of relationship that is going to result in supernatural joy. Supernatural joy comes from a close relationship with God, close enough that I'm satisfied in Him. And this is what the writer here says. Look at verse 1. Keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. Those are, those are personal words. When David says, my God and my Lord, look at verse 2, those two words for Lord are represented differently in your Bible, most likely, right? The first one is in all caps, and the second one isn't. The first one's in all caps because it's representative of God's personal name, Yahweh. And so it says, I say to Yahweh, is what he's saying, I say to Yahweh, God's personal name, you are my And that word for Lord means master. You are my master. I am am close to you, and I'm calling you the one that I serve in this way. And then he says, apart from you, I have no good thing. Think about David for a moment. Did David have a few good things in his life? Yeah. His current circumstances are probably not that great. He says, keep me safe, my God, probably because he's he's enduring one of those times that he was running for his life from Saul. That's probably what's happening here. But so interesting that he says this, apart from you, I have no good thing, maintains this attitude. Even though we do have good things in life, but here's here's the idea. To be close to God, right? To be close with him, we have to actively choose and make choices that result in closeness of relationship with God we have to do that so I just want you to think about any two people any two people person A and person B and they meet and and get along and let's say they're going to be friends what determines the quality of that friendship What is the thing that is necessary that produces a good relationship? Think about you and your closest friend, whoever that is. Maybe it's who you're married to. Maybe you've got a close brother or buddy or sister or something like that. Think about the person that you would say, I am closest to them more than anyone else in this world, right? You got that person? Now, think about what happened that resulted in that closeness of relationship. Maybe you had experiences together. Maybe you went through something difficult together. Maybe you just have a lot of common interests. Maybe you have the same sense of humor and you laugh at all the same things. Regardless of whatever all of that stuff is, yeah, Scott and Charity over here, you've got a lot of inside jokes, I can tell, right? Yeah, good quality relationship. But I'll I'll bet that even with all of those other things, the number one factor here is time. Time, doesn't matter if it's common interest or common experience or whatever it is that results in a close relationship, but we can't be close without time. Time is the common denominator for every close relationship out there. You don't find two people that say, oh, yes, we're the best of friends. We've spoken four times. That doesn't happen. You say, yeah, we're the best of friends. What do they say? They're inseparable. They're always together. They're always doing things together. So here we go. Time with God, right? Time with God. This is not this is not. This is not a complicated equation. It's just a hard one to pull off in a life where everything else crowds in on our time. Prayer and the word. Prayer and the word. Cannot trade those two things away. That's the personal devotion side of time with God. Prayer and the word. Now, that can come in a lot of different forms. It can come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. And you've heard me say this before. But there is no substitute for prayer and time in the Word. None. You personally. Again, I'm not saying... When you come here to church, yes, of course. When you come here to church, we're going to open up the word and look at Psalm 16. We're going to do this for a little while. But I'm talking about you. You want supernatural joy that comes from a close and satisfied relationship in God? You have to put in the time. We have to put in the time in his word and time in prayer as a personal devotion, as personal time. And so, why did I call this series How to Fight for Joy? Because this right here is going to be a fight. This is going to be a fight. It's a fight for me, and I'm a pastor. You say, isn't it your full-time job to read this thing? Yeah, pretty much is. When I talk about sitting down... And getting to know the God of the universe who wants to be in close relationship with me, who knows my name, who holds me in his hands. If I'm going to do that, I've got to approach this thing in more than just a way of like, okay, how can I teach things to people today? I've got to sit and read and spend time and spend time in prayer, just like any of you do. And it's a fight. There's going to be things in your life that say, this is more important than that. And here's the thing, they're going to be important things. In order to be able to carve out the time for the relationship that is required to have closeness with God, in order to do that, we're going to have to say no to some good things in order to say yes to time with God. Going to have to. One of them is probably going to be sleep. I'm just going to tell you that. I'm just going to tell you that. One of them is probably going to be sleep. We are going to need to choose, get up early, if that's the time that works, and spend time with the Lord. Okay? Satisfaction in God comes from closeness to God. Here's a third part of the puzzle. Look at number three there. People who are satisfied in God receive joy from being in relationship with other godly people. So... Doing what you're doing today does count. It does help. Coming to church, right? Look at verse four, or look at verse three, I'm sorry. I say of the holy people who are in the land, they are the noble ones in whom is all my delight. He's saying that I delight in people who are also pursuing the same God that I'm pursuing. I delight in those people. So I'm going to chase after time with those people and I'm gonna protect that time because I know that that contributes to me catching the supernatural joy of God. I'm actually going to make sure that when when there's a conflict between something church-related and something world-related, I'm going to make sure the kingdom of God wins more than not. I'm going to do that. And I'm going to teach my kids that. There's going to be a cost associated with this. I'm going to say, man, when there's a conflict between youth group and school things, when there's a conflict between some work things and church things, I'm gonna to try to arrange my life so that the kingdom of God concerns are winning out most of the time. And we're going to be people who are pursuing the kind of closeness with God that results in supernatural joy. Part of that is being with his people, right? I'll look at number four there. Closeness with God, closeness to God comes when we value him above anyone and anything else. So he wins on the calendar. He wins in the schedule. He wins in my bank account. He wins in all of those things. That's where I make sure that he wins. That's how I can be close to him and ensure that I am close to him in such a way that it will result in supernatural joy. I value him above anything else. Look at verse five. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. Is what he says, you are my portion. It says, aside from everything else that I have in my pockets, everything else that I've got in my bag, everything else that I have in my bank account or in my house or in my garage, I value God over and above anything else. I value him over and above any opportunity. I value him over and above any other relationship. I value him and being close to him over and above any other possession or form of wealth in this world. I value him. Here's how you know what you value what we do early, what we do daily, and where our money goes. Right there. That's how we know. Are we valuing God above anything else or anyone else in our lives? We'll know if we answer those questions honestly. What do I do early? What do I do daily? And where's my money going? That, that's that's going to answer that question. And it should be, <laughs> I'm focused on God. There should be early things I'm doing that pour into my relationship with God. There should be. Because the things that we do early are things that we value. Things that are important to us. Things that we do daily. Man, that, that should reflect. I should, there should be daily Daily disciplines, daily choices I'm making that are pouring into my relationship with God. I'm going to be in daily prayer. I'm going to get into the word daily. I'm going to set up my Version app on my phone to give me a daily Bible verse. And when that notification comes up, I'm going to spend time reading it and memorizing it every single day. I'm going to do those things. These are the daily choices that we, that we make when we value God above anyone or anything else. And that's the only way to have the kind of relationship that Psalm 16 is talking about. When we value him above anyone and anything else. If we can do this, it's going to change our lives. It truly is. I'll tell you, it's been changing mine. The supernatural side of joy, what's so interesting is that when we start to catch the joy of God by pouring into our close relationship with Him, when we start to catch that joy, it makes it easier for us to choose joy on the other side. It makes it easier for me to choose to have a joyful attitude because I recognize all the wonderful things I have in God. So this last bit of your notes, we're going to hit pretty quick right now because I just want to demonstrate for you, based in this psalm, the benefits of being close to God, okay? The benefits of having a close relationship with Him that result in supernatural joy. So look at number three there. When we are close to God, we possess... Here we go, let's fill it in. Number one, security in an insecure life. Security in an insecure life, right? Look at verse five. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance, right? This is what he's saying. He's saying no matter what happens in my life, I dwell securely because of what I have from God. That's huge, There's few joy killers in this world as potent or as commonplace as people who are insecure, right? That just kills our joy if we're insecure. But in God, our future is secure no matter what. And so the closer to him we are, the more we'll be sure of that, okay? Look at number two. If we are close to God, we possess what? Number two, his constant guidance and help in confusing times. His constant guidance and help in confusing times. Verse seven, I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night as my heart instructs me, right? Those two phrases are actually designed to go against each other. It's saying at night, my heart instructs me. What it means is at night, my heart tells me things that aren't true. Does your heart tell you things that aren't true at night? That happens to me a lot. Right? The heart is deceitful above all things. Who's, who's, who's it deceiving? Me. It's making me believe things that aren't true about reality, making me believe things that aren't true about God. Man, even in that circumstance, man, I'm confused about this situation. I don't know what to do. My heart's not telling me the truth. My emotions are not telling me the truth about reality. They hardly ever do, by the way. Emotions hardly ever tell you the truth about what's going on. Right? God tells us the truth even in those circumstances. I will praise the Lord who counsels me, right? It's really stressful being in this life, not knowing what to do, and having emotions that scream loudly things that are not accurate, or true, or wise. But in those circumstances, God gives special wisdom, knowledge, and insight to those who are close to Him. He does. Don't believe me? Proverbs 3.32, you don't have to turn there, says this. For the Lord detests the perverse, but takes the upright into his confidence. He gives special insight to people who pour into a close relationship with him, right? So we have security in an insecure life, constant guidance and help in confusing times. Here's another thing we have when we're close to God. Number three, stability in an unstable world. All these things can take our joy. But in God, he provides them in the context of a close relationship. Look at verse 8. I keep my eyes always on the Lord, and with him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. I will not be shaken in this world. There's a lot of things that shake us in this world, do they not? Lots of things shake us. Lots of things threaten to shake us. Do you want to be somebody who doesn't fear bad news? Get close to God. Bad news can steal our joy very quickly, but the closer we are to him, the more unshakable we are, and the more joyful we will be. When we are close to God, we possess security in an insecure life, constant guidance and help all the time in confusing times, stability in an unstable world. Look at number four, resurrection in an existence diminished by sin and death. That's pretty good news, isn't it? You look at this, look at verse 11 there, or 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay, except he did see decay. But that's because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, David's writing about two things, not one thing. He thought he was writing only about his salvation from Saul, but in reality, because God was inspiring him to do it, he was also writing about Jesus Christ and the hope of resurrection that we would have in him. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Resurrection, even in the face of death. How can we know confidently that that little section right there is actually about Jesus Christ? Because in Acts chapter 2, Peter quotes it, and he cites it when he's talking about Jesus. He says, This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he quotes this and says, you have made known to me the paths of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. He's saying that was talking about Jesus, which means it's talking about you and me and what we will have because as Jesus was raised on the third day, you and I will be raised after we die. Resurrection in the midst of sin and death, that is also what we have as we are close with God and the joy that comes from it. Here's the last thing in are notes. to Just what I want you to remember. The center of Christianity is a person. The center of Christianity is a person. The reason we have all of these benefits that we listed there in number three from this psalm is because we are close to a person. The center of Christianity is a person, and so therefore, last thing in your notes, our supernatural joy comes from being with that person. That's where it comes from. The supernatural side of our joy comes from being with that person. So, here's my question. Are you close to God? Are you close to him? Not are you saved, that's not the question I'm asking. Not are you saved, not are you a Christian, not do you go to church, not do you play in the worship team, not do you serve with the youth ministry. I'm not asking those questions. The question I'm asking is you, you personally. Independent of anyone else in your life, independent of the person you're married to, independent of the church that you go to here and the, and the teaching that you hear, are you yourself close to God? And answer the question honestly. Because if you are saying to yourself right now, I don't think I am, then it's probably showing itself and one of the ways it's showing itself is you don't have supernatural joy. Well, it can be yours. It can be. And so I'm gonna suggest that you spend some more time with God and you fight for that time. You fight for the time in your schedule. Value him above anything and anyone else and say, no, I need to carve this out and start with a five-minute anchor. Five minutes in your day, my suggestion to you is that they come first thing. Five minutes first thing in the morning, open up your Bible and just read Psalm 16. Read Psalm 16 and go into prayer. Start with a five-minute anchor, but don't trade that five minutes away for anything each and every single day, and do it for two weeks. And watch what happens. Don't trade that time away for two weeks. And see what God does when we pour into a closeness with him That is the thing that results in the kind of joy that sets us apart from everybody else.